Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, pastor at Hope, and we are so glad that you are listening in. We would love to connect with you in person at our Sunday gathering. In the meantime, we hope this message points you to Jesus, the reason we gather. About a decade ago, my brother-in-law sat down with my grandma Mary for an interview in the exact way a news reporter would. Two chairs, prepared questions, even a voice recorder. And he did this for a couple of reasons. Number one, he was a news reporter. That was his full-time job. That was his trade. And so it was very natural for him to do this. But more to the point, He was fascinated by my grandma, Mary. And he wanted to capture her story before it was too late. Now that was very odd to me. I remember even thinking it at the time. That was strange. To me, she was too familiar to be fascinating. (laughs) But because he was new to our family, she was endlessly fascinating. C.S. Lewis, the author, once said that the greatest risk for a pastor is that their hands would become anesthetized by the holy. That we would become desensitized by the things of God. Not because of unfamiliarity, but precisely because of familiarity. And I have to confess that I feel the same way about the Apostle Paul. He wrote a quarter of the New Testament. I throw his name around every single Sunday, every single day. I took graduate courses on the guy. But like my grandma Mary, Paul is too familiar. Some here this morning grew up in church and you take Paul for granted. Others here might not even know who Paul is or who I am talking about. So why don't we draw up a chair, pull out a voice recorder, and get to know Paul this morning. For the next few weeks, we will actually be exploring his letters. But first, I want to explore his life. I mean, God put a biography of Paul in his word with the book of Acts. Through Luke. But he also put an autobiography of sorts in his word, all of Paul's letters. It seems that we are meant, therefore, to reflect on the life of Paul. Now, this will help us, I think, understand his letters as we approach them in the coming weeks, but this isn't just some academic exercise. That we are going to embark in this morning. Like reading a biography of Jane Austen before we read Pride and Prejudice. So we could like actually get to know the book better. No, this is so that we would actually get to know Jesus better. So here's our goal this morning. We want to do two things. We want to reflect on Paul's story. And we want to allow Paul's story to possibly this morning recalibrate our story. But first let's pray. Lord... Would the words of my mouth, would the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock, our redeemer, by the Holy Spirit. O Lord, would you 
open the eyes, our internal eyes of our hearts so that we would actually see Jesus and his beauty and his power and that we would trust him, that we would worship him, that we would find him more lovely than every other thing, even the lovely gifts in our life, that he would be supreme. And would you do that as a gift to us, Lord? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 12 years ago, my wife went into labor, but nobody, including her, including me, even including her doctors, thought that she was going into labor. It was way, way, way too early. But Henry was in great danger, and he needed help. Long story, very short. His 27-week-old lungs had no fluid to breathe, and so his lungs demanded air. Well, when this dawned on the doctors, they went into action, and after a very scary emergency delivery, the world met Henry. Now, I thought of Henry's birth story this week because it is actually Paul's faith story. Paul, the apostle, says this about himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The risen Jesus appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one untimely born. For I am the least of all the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. So this word, one untimely born, that word was used in the ancient world to describe premature births. Biblical scholar Michael Bird defines it this way, quote, this violent image that Paul uses to describe his own experience pertains to an endangered infant being ripped out of the womb and brought into the light. Now why would one of the most influential leaders in all of history, not even mentioning sacred history, what, why would such a man say such a thing about himself? Someone shocked into the light. Someone in danger, but brought into life. Well, to answer this, we need to first reflect on Paul's story. Paul's story, I think, has four main chapters. Persecutor of Jesus, picked by Jesus, proclaimer of Jesus, prisoner for Jesus. And I want to look at all four briefly this morning before we allow his story to recalibrate our own. So first, Paul was a persecutor of Jesus. Here's how he described this chapter in his life. Philippians 3, verse 5. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. We heard this read by Jill. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. So this meant that Paul was passionate. Passionate for God. Passionate for his law. See, Paul was not anti-God. He wasn't some kind of militant atheist against the idea of God. No, he was just anti-false messiah. He longed for the true 
Messiah. And he just didn't think Jesus could be him. Jesus was cursed on a cross. There's no way that's the son of David. There's no way that's the promised king of Israel who will liberate Israel. There's no way that is Messiah who will make all things right. There is no way that the Messiah loses and dies by the Roman Empire's most shameful execution device. There's no possible way that Jesus is him. And so his passion, even his zeal, led him to persecute Jesus. Saul did what any militant Pharisee in those days would do. Ruthlessly eliminate blasphemers in God's name and for God's glory. So the first time we meet Paul, he's sanctioning the first Christian martyr. Done. Saul was one of the witnesses. And he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Now, Saul wasn't just some like innocent bystander either, some passive observer who's like, yeah, I'm down with that. That's okay with me. What's going on with Stephen over there in his stoning? No, no. Just a chapter later in the book of Acts, we learn that Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. That's how Luke puts it. Here's how Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 1. I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. Paul does not sugarcoat his past life. He wasn't sort of live and let live on Jesus. Like, yeah, he's one of many uh, gods or one of many. No, no. He was dead set against Jesus, which takes us to the second chapter in his life, the most surprising chapter in his life. Picked by Jesus. Now, if I were God, you know, if I was the author of this story that we've been going through as a church, we've been looking at the whole story of Scripture, one book at a time. If I was writing this story, I would not pick Paul. I wouldn't pick him. He would be on my list of people to avoid, actually, you know? So go to any major park in Columbus right now that has soccer goals, and you will likely see hundreds of boys and girls trying out for club soccer. That's happening right now. And they're doing their hardest. They're trying their, their best in hopes for an email from a coach who says, I saw you. You were killing it. I want you on my team. Well, we would expect Coach, coach Jesus to do the same, wouldn't we? We would imagine Jesus sort of standing on the sidelines with a clipboard. And then handpicking those who are doing best for him. But instead, we see Jesus pick someone who honestly is kicking the ball into the opposite goal. Isn't just bad, like is totally opposed to the game and to the coach. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. That's the, the followers of Jesus, who is the, the way and the truth and the life. And that's what they referred to themselves in those early days, followers of the way, followers of Jesus. And so he's asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any of these folks that he, that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. 
And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, first of all, notice how closely Jesus associates with his people. So that when Saul says, I want to put them in chains. I want to violently eliminate them. Jesus says, you are violently eliminating me because I am so wrapped up. I so identify with my followers. And that can be a huge grace to you this morning. If you hear nothing else from me this morning, hear that if your faith, even your mustard seed sized faith is in Jesus, he so identifies with you that his life is your life. His righteousness is your righteousness. His death on the cross is for you. His resurrection is now your resurrection. He is so wrapped up into you. He defends you. He pastors you. He fights for you. He is your Savior. Amen. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. So Paul was on a mission to murder the Jesus movement. But Jesus intercepts and sends him on a mission to magnify Jesus. Friends, to reflect on Paul's story is to reflect on this scandalous grace. Which takes us to the third chapter of Paul's life as a proclaimer of Jesus. So he says this in Galatians 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Okay? Persecutor to proclaimer. And so from here on out, Paul proclaims Jesus everywhere he goes. Immediately after this encounter with the risen Jesus, he goes to Arabia, probably the city of Petra. Have you, have you seen, uh, is it Raiders of the Lost Ark? Is that the one? Yes. Uh, no. Last Crusade. Thank you. <laughs> the ancient city of Petra. He's probably there. We don't know, but it was Arabia. It was in that area. He proclaims Jesus there. Then he proclaims Jesus in Damascus. Then he proclaims Jesus in Jerusalem. And then he proclaims Jesus in Tarsus, his hometown. And then he's asked to visit the cross-cultural church in Antioch. And he confirms how God is saving people born outside of the vineyard of Israel. And God's doing that in droves. And, And Jesus is actually sending him to those folks. And so from there, he's sent on a missionary journey to places like Cyprus and Galatia. To do what? To proclaim Jesus. Paul writes Galatians. It's our first letter from him in our Bible. And in that letter, he is proclaiming Jesus. Paul is also stoned and left for dead in this moment. Why? Proclaiming Jesus. And that will be a theme. Paul proclaimed Jesus everywhere he went. But that often was at great cost. And then Paul goes on another journey. To proclaim Jesus, he goes all over Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, proclaiming Jesus. He writes First and Second Thessalonians. In letter, those are both letters that guess what? Proclaim Jesus. Paul goes on a third journey 
He spends three years in Ephesus proclaiming Jesus. He writes 1 Corinthians proclaiming Jesus. In Macedonia, he writes 2 Corinthians proclaiming Jesus. And then in Corinth, he proclaims Jesus again. And he actually, he writes a letter to the church in Rome. This is basically a support letter. He's saying, I want to go all the way to Spain. Why? To proclaim Jesus. And so I want to make contact with you because I'm going to stop in Rome before I keep going. And that's the book of Romans. And after this, Paul's story actually starts to mirror the life of Jesus in an interesting way. In his gospel, Luke says that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem towards his cross. And the same author, Luke, in the book of Acts, shows how this is true as well of Paul. And now Paul says, I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Paul sets his face to Jerusalem and he says, I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of proclaiming Jesus. You see it? One New Testament scholar actually points out that Paul even encounters the three same courts as Jesus does before his death. The Sanhedrin, the Roman protectorate, protector, procurator. Wow, that was a real big fail. And then <laughs> procurator. And then Herod as well, this time Agrippa. So Luke helps us see that Paul and every Christ follower is not just saved by the cross of Jesus, but is shaped by the cross of Jesus, which takes us to the final slide, prisoner for Jesus. Did you know that the books in the New Testament, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians, were all written from prison? Not some academic study. From prison. And did you know that the book of Acts itself ends with a prison scene, Paul in house arrest? Now it's likely that Paul was released from that house arrest and continued his cross shaped ministry. And this is when we get 1 Timothy, and this is when we get Titus. He's passing the baton. And we think that 2 Timothy was written in prison again, this time at the hands of Nero, who has his head, tradition says. Like John the Baptist before. Paul. From persecutor to persecuted. Paul. From jailing Christ followers to jailed Christ follower. Paul. From proud Saul to humble Paul. This is Paul's story. And this morning we need to reflect on it. Years ago, I was invited to attend my 10 years, years and years ago actually, I was, I was invited to attend my 10 year high school reunion. And my takeaway was that everybody was pretty much the same as I remember them. <laughs> I mean, if anybody changed, it was kind of hard to see and it was merely like physical. Well, listen, that is sadly my default view of humanity. 
that we all pretty much stay the same. Little changes here and there. Yeah, his hair's getting gray. Oh, he has glasses now. But that's it. Pretty much the same. But reflecting on Paul's story challenges that assumption to its core. So my takeaway from Paul's story is not that humans have a great capacity to change, like what some TED speaker would say to you. That's not my takeaway. See, left to himself, Paul would go down in history as just another unsuccessful enemy of Jesus, wouldn't he? We would read right past Luke's word. Oh, and there was this guy named Saul who was standing by when Stephen was stoned, and he approved of what happened. And that's probably the last that we would hear of him. Maybe we would hear, oh, and some early followers of the way were put in prison, executed or persecuted by this guy named Saul, who was a zealous, militant Pharisee. That's probably the end, the beginning and the end of Saul's story. If Jesus did not intervene, and so my takeaway is not humans can change themselves. No, my takeaway is Jesus can change anybody. That's my takeaway. And so I just want to ask you, are you set? Are you set in your ways? Stop selling the risen Jesus short. Okay? That's what Paul would say. See, whomever Jesus encounters, he will change. Is that you this morning? Do you think you're too far gone? Do you carry too much shame about your past? The whole reason that Paul writes the story down, the whole reason that Luke makes an account of Paul's own story is not because Paul is into himself. That is absolutely the opposite of who Paul is. No, no. Paul tells us why we know his story. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I was the worst of them. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. And then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. So I think... Reflecting on Paul's story can help us recalibrate how we think of our story. When I look at Paul's story, it causes me to ask two questions. What is my script? What is my script that I'm living off of? So pastor and author Pete Scazzaro teaches that all humans have basically been handed a script in their childhood. A powerful and often unspoken set of cues, like cue cards or expectations that we live by. And this is normal. This is absolutely understandable. We are, after all, story-shaped creatures. We need a script. That's how we were designed by the great storyteller himself, God. <coughs> The problem is, and I'm quoting Scazzaro, most of us never examine the scripts that were handed to us as children. He writes, quote, Our families and traumatic events in our histories often hand us negative messages or scripts that unconsciously direct our lives. 
These decisions we make, often forgotten, he goes on, are replayed over and over and over in adult situations, even when they are not necessary. So these scripts can take the shape of something like an unexamined vow, a childhood vow that you may not even remember making, but you made it. I'm telling you, you made some vows as a child. I vow to never fill in the blank again. I vow to always fill in the blank for the rest of my life. These unexamined vows, I think, are powerful, and they're often they're often very destructive. But Jesus' script, as Paul's life tells us, is more powerful and it brings life. These vows sometimes take the shape of unexamined values. We live by values. That's how we make decisions. And so you may not reflect on your values, but everyone has values. And so again, how many of these values are actually what Jesus values? These scripts that we've been handed often have unexamined visions of the future. So a vision has been defined as a picture of the future that inspires action today. And so we all live with a vision that inspires action today. The fancy word for this is eschatology. We all have an eschatology. We all have something that orients our decisions today. And that thing that orients our decisions today is something down the road. And it's powerful. It's so powerful. It's our vision. But again... Do we even know what is what that controlling vision is? And is that vision from Jesus? Or our culture? Or our parents? See, Paul blindly follows a script that was handed to him, but the risen Jesus blinds him for three days. And then opens his eyes to a new script. My old self, he says, has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is your script? What is your script? And is it the script that Jesus hands you? The second question I ask in light of Paul's story, is who is my Savior? I could even say, what is my Savior? Who or what is my Savior? If you accept the premise that this life is hard and that this life is scary, if you accept that premise, then you are longing for some kind of rescue. You just are. And so then the question remains, the question is this, what is that salvation scheme in my life? What am I trusting in? Or who am I trusting in? Are you trusting in yourself? Your hard work, your determination, your creativity? Is it success? Could it be that vision you have of starting a company, of of having success, having a family of a certain size, or whatever it is, are you depending on these things to rescue you from the scariness of this life? Who is your savior? Who is your hero? Is it success? Is it even possibly religion? Well, Paul's life shows us that it is possible. It's frighteningly possible to be passionate for God's glory, 
but miss the Savior. Paul was a God-fearing Pharisee who was passionate for God's glory, for God's word. And I'll I'll be honest, way more God-centered, way more moral than I am. But he didn't have Jesus. He didn't have Jesus. And so he was without a Savior. Which is why Paul became a one-string fiddle with one single tune. Jesus alone is your rescuer. Jesus alone is your rescuer. So I hope, as a church, we talk a lot about the both and, don't we? As Andy Crouch puts it, the world is littered with false choices, and it is. And so it's our mission as a church to be a community of surprise, and a key component of that surprise is embracing the both ands in Scripture. Where society draws neither or, we want to embrace the both ands. But I want you to hear this very clearly this morning. That does not mean that there are no either ors in God's world. Jesus is an either or. Jesus is either your Savior or He is not. Paul's story is an either or story. Persecutor of Jesus, passionate for God's glory, proclaimer of Jesus. Who sees Jesus as God's glory. So you are either rescued by Jesus alone or not at all. That's the either or of Paul's story. This tells us that there are two ways to miss out on salvation. When the hero of your story is anything but Jesus, we could call that spiritual idolatry. And when the hero of your story is anything plus Jesus... We could call that spiritual adultery. In both cases, by either rejecting Jesus or by adding to Jesus, in both cases, your hero is not Jesus alone. So who is your hero this morning? Who is it? I think Paul's story forces us to reconsider the way we tell our story. We cannot say, I am just a good person who's going about life as best as I can. And you know what? I don't know about Jesus. No, no, no. There is a line in the sand and it could be being drawn right now in your life at this very moment. It is this. Are you or aren't you with King Jesus? That's everything. It's everything. And we wouldn't want to trust in ourselves as a hero, would we? We wouldn't want to trust in the things of this world as a hero, would we? It's Jesus and Jesus alone who lives for us, who died for us, and who was risen for us. And who, like a coach, calls us to be on his team when we're kicking balls into the opposing team's goals. That's his grace. That's our Savior. Are you trusting in him? 
What are you looking for? For your okayness in life. What settles your soul? Paul lived and died that, that, that you might answer that question with one name. Jesus. And more importantly, that you would see Jesus who lived and died and was raised for you. And so, Lord, we come into your presence in prayer, asking for your script. Lord, we are done being the hero of our own story, and we are now going to gladly allow you to be the hero. We all go from proud soul to humble Paul. And like him, we experience life to the full. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening in. For more resources like this and to learn more about hope, please visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.